Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name's Thomas Boff. I'm the editor of Wolfblog.com, a website dedicated entirely to uh, Wolverhampton Wonders Football Club. If you want to read anything about Wolves or your team are playing Wolves, uh, then you can log on to Wolfblog.com or check us out on Facebook.com forward slash Wolvesblog or on Twitter at Wolvesblog. Hello, everyone. I'm Tadio Chanakira um, at Tad Predicts on Twitter, host of A Tad Predictable on the EPL Index channel and also host of Rate Don't Hate on the Anfield Index Pro subscriber channel. Uh, get all my stuff on Twitter if you want to see what I'm getting up to. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining me today, guys. I figure we'll start off, which is probably the, the headline of the day, which is Everton have finally parted ways with Rafa Benitez just six months after he was kind of controversially hired, obviously, due to his uh, history there with Liverpool. I was just curious from you guys up front are you surprised that this happened and are you surprised that this is happening now no um, not not surprised that it's happening uh, the results for everton have been pretty horrendous for a long time i think if you take out that that kind of smash and grab victory they had over arsenal um you know a month ago they they have they've lost they've just been losing consistently for months um they don't look great and um, yeah, so and 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 obviously, you know, the starting position with Benitez and the Everton fans is that they hate him. So if that's your start position and then you're underperforming, then you're immediately in a lot of trouble. And I think that the bad feeling has escalated over the last month, uh, particularly with the sale of Dinia. I think that I think, you know, Benitez has kind of singled him out and. I think he's got a reputation also for defensive football, and I think I think it, it's been symbolic of you know selling Dinya and bringing in a more you know understated defence-focused uh, you know, wing back, full back. That's kind of underlined his tactics. So I think yeah, negative football, the fact all these associations with Liverpool, the terrible results. I mean, it's the perfect recipe for a sacking, isn't it? Really, so um, no surprise for uh, for me. Yeah, no surprise for me either. I think considering the history that he has um, with Liverpool, it was kind of always doomed to fail, I thought. Um, maybe before, maybe a couple of years ago, it would have been a good move. But I, I think it his style of play, I don't think, suited what Everton fans wanted. Um, I it's difficult, you know. Um, I I I like Rafa. Um, he's, he was one of my favorite managers because, obviously, as a Liverpool fan, uh, growing up, I grew up 
mostly in the Gerard Hulia and Rafa Benitez eras. Mm. So um, I obviously have uh, affinity to him from that. And I didn't mind him going to Everton. I thought, you know, I thought he could do a decent job there. But the problem was any anything that went wrong, he was never going to get the benefit of the doubt. And when you've got a manager, you want to at least give him some sort of benefit of the doubt, at least some leeway. But any decision that was going to be made, any, you know, match that went wrong, it was always going to fall at his feet. So I, I just didn't see how he was going to be successful there unless... It was basically trophy or bust. I, I think even if he made like a top six or something, it wouldn't feel as good if he did it for them. I, I always felt from from their side. So not surprised that he's left. Obviously, there's a lot more bigger issues at Everton at the moment than just getting the manager right. I mean, structurally, there's a lot that needs to change there, I think, for the fans to to truly feel that Everton can go back to a place or, or get to a place that they they feel they deserve to be at. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's it, it was inevitable. I think the timing was interesting uh, to do it kind of halfway through a January transfer window. I, I probably would have done it before just to give a new manager time to, you know, kind of see which players he wanted, if he needed to bring players in. But you you sell Dinya because the manager doesn't like him or there, there's been uh, issues with the manager. And then now that manager's gone and you've lost one of um, your talisman players. So that that I think was was a bit of mismanagement from the upstairs part of Everton. Yeah, I, I think your comment on the weird timing is kind of what I was digging at because you've just gotten rid of your director of football a couple of months ago. Now you're in a window where you just sold one of your best players in Luca Digne because he didn't get along with Benitez and you brought in Anwar Al-Ghazi because of Benitez and now he's immediately gone and now you have to question both of those moves. How are things going to be handled without a director of football leaving after there was reportedly strain there? It just feels like they've left themselves in a pretty awkward place. Aside from all those issues, why do you guys think that this, this fell so quickly? Although I suppose Ted kind of referenced one of the reasons he expected it. Uh, well, I just think that he's just reached the end of the line. It's unsustainable, isn't it? I mean, the fan pressure is is overwhelming. Um, and I think owners, what they're always trying to do is deflect the blame away from themselves. So someone's got to go after a, you know, a sequence of results like they've had. They're edging closer to the relegation zone. Um, if they carry on the way they're going, they're obviously going to be pulled right into that. I think they've got Newcastle in a few weeks. So, you know, and... Although it is late in the transfer window, it's not so late that they could get they couldn't get a manager who could come in and sort of say, "Well, I know that we need X, Y, and Z to to fix this." Um, and maybe they're thinking they can do some deals late in the window with the right manager. And I think if you you don't want to underestimate the sort of the changing the feeling, you know, around a club, if if you've got this kind of toxic atmosphere around a manager, it is it does have a detrimental effect on the team um, and maybe if you think about it, if they get a manager that the fans will get behind and I think Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison are sort of coming back now and they're the talisman for Everton they're the two players who are going to score the goals that are going to make the difference in their games and you know to be fair to Benitez he hasn't had those players for much of the season um, so that's going to make a big difference so maybe the Everton board are just thinking well we'll get someone else in freshen things up get the crowd more on our sides get those players back Maybe we can do one or two things in the, the 
late knockings of January and, and we can just, you know, turn the ship around a bit. They're probably faced with either doing that or, or facing a barrage over the second of the season, second half of the season and probably thinking, actually, this could turn really nasty, you know, kind of like it was with Bruce at, at St. James's Park, uh, you know, Newcastle. So you, you do want to avoid that if you can. So I actually do think it is the right decision. Um, so I, and I, I don't think the timing is as bad. You know, if they've done it on February the 1st, you know, as I've mentioned before on this show, Wolves sacked Mick McCarthy in February and it was like, well, not exactly a great move, Boneheads, because, you know, who are we going to get now? Um, so I think, you know, right move for Everton and um, I think they'll probably see an improvement, probably whoever takes over, just because they won't have that bad feeling and, and they'll probably have more of their better players back. Yeah, and, and I think it's, you know, just to echo in terms of the injuries that they did have, I, I do think they had quite a few injuries to key players, um, not just injuries in terms of yeah. volume of injuries, but to really key players that make a huge difference for Everton. And, and that was a difficult thing to navigate. And then also, I think it's just a really difficult job at the moment because the expectations are really high. And you come in with a squad that is basically it it it's a squad that's been assembled over, you know, I don't know if it's five or six managers at this point in terms of the players that are currently there. So many different style identities that are in there in terms of the players that, you know, how those players want to play football, the football they were promised when they were signing for Everton. Um so, yeah, I, th- I thought it was just going to be a difficult job in any case. But then I think the injuries, I definitely think if you have a Calvert-Learn, you have a Richarlison fit all season, Decore was massive for them at the beginning of the season. He went out for a bit as well. If you have those players playing for the majority of the time, I don't think their record would be as bad as it is now. Um, but, yeah, hopefully they're bringing in someone that, at the very least, let's get someone in that... I don't think you'll please everyone, because uh, it's difficult to do that with any fan base, but at least the majority of fans can get behind. Because when when Goodison Park is rocking, it's one of the most intimidating stadiums, I think. Um, maybe there's a bit of bias there because of the derby nature of, of the crowds that I've seen at Goodison Park. But I do think in general, they can they can really rally behind the team. And I haven't felt that for for quite a while with them. Yeah, I think those are all good points. I think the the only reason I th- the, the timing makes any sense other than obviously the big loss and as you were saying, Thomas, the fan base just not being able to tolerate his presence at the club anymore is that their upcoming run of matches of Villa, Newcastle, Leeds, Southampton is in theory a nice launch point for whoever you're bringing in next. Obviously, Tottenham did that with Conte where he came in for basically our easiest stretch of the season um, just to try to get that confidence under under the belt pretty early there. Uh, who do you guys think is likely to, to come in for that kind of sweet run? And obviously there are some squad issues, still still some health issues, but who are you thinking will rock up and do you think they'll do a decent job? Well, the two names I saw mentioned in the in the story were Graham Potter and Wayne Rooney. Um, I don't think Graham Potter's going to want to do it. I just I think yeah, that would be madness to go there. I mean, Brighton are clearly quite a well-run club with lots of things happening there. Obviously, they're not as big a club as Everton, but it would be kamikaze for him to, to think, oh, I'll, I'll go to Everton right now. So I think he, he'll he probably count himself out fairly quickly. Um, Wayne Rooney is an interesting one, but has he got the experience? He seems to have done all right at Derby. 
even you know the dire circumstances that he's he's had there and obviously there's an affinity there he's he's one of their own so maybe because they went so controversial in bringing Benitez in maybe the pendulum will swing heavily back the other way and they think we want to get someone who who the fans you know can relate to and get behind so it's not beyond the realms of possibility they might look at they might look at Rooney uh, the name that I saw in the, the betting odds that I thought was possibly a good fit is, is Frank Lampard um, just because he's immediately available he's a name so he might be able to help them in the respect of bringing in some players um you know who who perhaps want to go and go and play for him i think he plays more attacking football uh promotion of you know youth players and and, and getting teams playing it would be a gamble if they went with someone like lampard because like rooney hasn't got a massive amount of experience especially coming into a, a team in the bottom you know bottom third of the table potentially getting involved in a relegation scrap uh, if he can't turn it around quickly but um, but yeah, I think I think Frank Lampard will be in the picture, and I think it would be quite a good job for him because, as I say, I think if he gets all the players back, um, you know, I think I think he I think Everton will just pick up because because they've got you know more talent and more quality to choose from. So so maybe Frank Lampard is is, is the one to look at for me. Yeah, it's a difficult one um, because of what's happening behind the scenes at Everton. As we say, there's, there's, I don't know if anyone or who exactly is making the football decisions now because it's kind of gotten rid of all the people that were making those decisions. So do they bring someone in to, to, to do that sort of a director of football first and then that person brings in a manager or do you bring in a manager first and, and then director of football after, which sometimes can cause issues. But in terms of the names, I mean, yeah, it, it does seem like a quite a small list at the moment in terms of, you know, the shortlisted list. Um, Wayne Rooney, as as was mentioned before, done remarkable work at Derby. I mean, they what's that, 21-point um, deduction at the start of the season. They didn't have a transfer window, mm. and somehow they're not, um, you know, looking like getting relegated at, at, at the moment. So, I mean, he's doing really well there. Um, the Frank Lampard one, I, I don't know if he has the right experience in terms of um, being in a dogfight, so to speak, um, down at the bottom of the table. Because I think for Everton, it, the season is is a wash for me in terms of just, let's just stay in the Premier League. Let's not do anything drastic in terms of getting relegated. Let's just stay in the, in the league for this season. So looking to a point of a short term, if it's Sam Allardyce, fine, bring Sam Allardyce in. We know what we're going to get from him. Um, and then we just stay up and then look to address everything in the summer. I don't think it would be wise to bring in, let's say if they're looking for the, that future manager that's going to be there for the next, you know, hopefully four or five years. I don't think you bring him in now into this unstable situation because you're just starting him off with sort of a handbrake on and and I, and you might end up, you know, having to fire that manager within six months. So Frank Lampard, I think, would be more a longer-term manager. We, I think they would need someone that either knows the club well. So if if it is a Wayne Rooney, fine. He knows the club well. Um, if it's if, yeah, or I know Martinez has his name has been linked as well. He's obviously with Belgium. 
whether or not he's staying with them long term is is still up in the air. Now, if it's a short term thing, and it would probably be a complicated deal, but if Belgium were willing to agree to it, bring him in for six months, you know, and then he can always go back to to Belgium full time. But kind of, if he can juggle both preparations for the World Cup and then just get steer us through these six months. And then we look to hire who we, we need to hire. If it ends up being Martinez, fine. But at least we'll, we'll have steered the ship with someone that's been there before. He's had a good season there before. Obviously, um, not he wasn't there for too long. Um, Graham Potter, I don't see how they can attract him um, at this point in time. Again, that will be one that I think maybe in the summer when you're saying, look, we've stabilized things, we've stayed up. These are the funds that will be available, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe you could attract him then. Um, we know the the difference of, of opinion he had with the the Brighton fans who who booed in that infamous game against Leeds um, earlier in the season. So maybe he's someone that could be enticed. But I don't think at this point in time it's too it's too risky to like. If I'm Graham Potter, I'm sitting there thinking, why would I take that risk now and potentially damage my reputation with such an unstable club. I, I Which just is why he turned out Tottenham, by me... the way. There's like precedent for this <laughs> yeah. and recent precedent. Exactly, exactly. Like, you you, you know, some of these um, bigger clubs, you, you got to pick and choose when you take that job. Um, and then uh, speaking of Tottenham and, you know, managers, what about Nuno? Um, could, could they take him on? I'm, I'm, I mean, Kev, maybe you could shed some light, but would he maybe do a job for six months and then say if he if he keeps them up, then he can have the job long term? It's a great question. Thomas might know better. He was only our manager for three months. <laughs> yeah, true. But, uh, We've got two two perfect people to speak about. Uh, yeah, I, I do think part. that the day that we hired Nuno, I think if I'm remembering correctly, was exactly the same day that they hired um, Rafa. And I remember Rafa. thinking, should we have not just hired each other's managers? To avoid all the conflict um, that the fan bases were having with who they'd appointed, where we would have been more impressed by Rafa's legacy, obviously, and Everton might have been more comfortable with Nuno than a person that used to manage one of their hated rivals. I, I personally obviously didn't have anything against Nuno. It just felt like he didn't really have any tactical ideas. Or, or, or he did, and he was being prevented from using them at the club because we weren't going to let him play a back three or a, or a back five and wanted him to trade to, to try to play the four two three one that he'd used it. I think it was Valencia when he was in Spain. But I don't know, Thomas, what, what are your thoughts on that one? I don't think it's a good one for uh, for Nuno. And I don't think it's a good one for Everton because like you say, he's gonna he's gonna have learnt lessons from Tottenham in that he's gonna want to go and do what he wants to do. Whenever he tried to play anything other than a back three at Wolves, it was it was pretty bad. Um and he's gonna go there and be perceived as negative football straight away. So I don't think that that was going to. I don't think that's going to work, and I don't think he'd get the Everton fans going. I think he's a, you know, he's a likable bloke, and I don't think, like you said, I think you summed it up perfectly in that you basically didn't want him at Tottenham, but you got nothing against him, and I'm sure you, you know your thoughts on, oh, what a nice guy, <laughs> you know, but just get away from my club, you know, that's the that, <laughs> go be nice know, somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, but he was excellent at Wolves because he came in and he had a summer. And, you know, he cleared out everyone. He got his players in and he got the team playing. So they hit the ground running and obviously built up from the championship. I think going into Everton now, you know, and, and 
I just I just don't think he'd be a good fit that one. I think they've got to be. I think they've got to look to be more progressive. Um, and it's got to feel like a clean start. I don't think they can go back to Allardyce. I don't even think they can go back to Martinez, to be mm. honest, because even though I think realists would maybe think, you know, OK, experienced manager, he, he, he's all right. But he wasn't exactly loved at Everton, was he? I think they were pretty glad to see the back of him when he left. So, um, you know, I, I think they've got, they need a fresh face, someone who's going to play, try and play a bit more progressive football, and someone who can galvanise the fans a bit more. You know, there is a paucity of options immediately available, unless they're looking abroad. Um, so, yeah, I don't know, but not, but not Nuno. Yeah, it seems like we've all thrown out a lot of names, and I think the same issues persist at the club, regardless of who they bring in. So uh, good luck to whoever comes on and takes that job, and obviously we'll talk about it whenever they do bring in someone, it, whether it just be Unsworth in a short-term stint, or if they do make it to the summer and try to bring in uh, Martinez and or any of the other many names that are being bandied about at the moment. All right, next, unfortunately, we have to talk about COVID rules in the Premier League again. So uh, a few episodes ago, we discussed how there needed to be a formal rule in the Premier League, and they decided to to match that by saying there's this like rule of 13, basically, that you need to have 13 available players in order to play a match right now. But of course, this was meant as a COVID rule. And now we've already seen a couple of times it be used for reasons that lie outside of that, with both Leicester and now Arsenal, which is obviously the big talking point this week with the North London Derby postponed, despite Arsenal having just one COVID case. Um, in these instances, with, like I said, with I think it was both Leicester and Arsenal, there are things like injuries and suspensions and AFCON participants and maybe a reduced amount of COVID cases. And I was just curious if you think that that's really fair usage of this kind of 13 available players rule, or if ultimately, or if ultimately it is still taking into account player safety, because even if because of all the reasons you only have 12 players, that in theory they'd be more prone to injury if they have to keep running them out while all these other issues persist. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't, don't blame Arsenal. Um, I think you, you create parameters, and then the club's, do whatever they can to get the best outcome for their club, you know, then that's perfectly right. I think Arsenal are well within their rights to say these are the rules that we've stated and we think we've got the basis for a postponement here. So no no issue with Arsenal. I think, you know, the Premier League is a dog-eat-dog world where all these teams are ruthlessly trying to, to get the best outcome. So um, good luck to them with that. Uh, I don't, I, I mean, the Premier League, it seemed like the clubs got together and thrashed out these rules um, and they could have made it COVID exclusive. I might be right or wrong saying this, but someone said on the radio yesterday that in the Bundesliga, they think it, it's simply a case. And if you've got more than five or six COVID cases, then that's it. And, and it's just cut and dry. You, you've either got five or six COVID cases or you don't. Um, and I, I think it does. It doesn't sit right with a lot of supporters whose teams have been savaged by injuries at different spells in the past to think, well, hang on a minute, you know, you're just calling a game off because, you know, Xhaka got sent off in the <laughs> in the game at Anfield and you've got a couple of players out for whatever reason. So, you know, it, it doesn't it leaves a sour taste. I just think as with everything, they've they've tried to be smart in the in the rules and the parameters that, that they've set out and then it's just left itself open to exploitation. Um, and that, that's just the way it is. So I think it should just be purely about COVID uh, because that's how it's been presented to the, the public. Um, and as I said on the radio yesterday, it's the fans who suffer because up until yesterday, there will be thousands of fans who are going to travel, go to that game, um, only for it to be cancelled. 
at the last minute and disrupt those plans. So, so yeah, I mean, a postponement should be like we've exhausted every possible option of building the team. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I do think it. Personally, I think more of the game should have gone ahead and teams should have had to have filled in using academy players or whatever. I mean, Wolves fielded, you know, uh, a, a bloke who, who'd been training with us for two weeks and had been out on loan, you know, in Hungary or somewhere for the past past year and brought him back in and played him because we've got, you know, Roman Saiz away at the Af- AFCON. Um, we've got injuries, you've got suspensions, but, you know, you, you do what you can. I mean, we had two goalkeepers and three youth players on the bench as well. So my thought is, you know, I like the Bundesliga model only about COVID. Everything else is kind of hard luck. And uh, you, you, you pick the players that you, you've got available, even if you are digging into, you know, your academy and um, other resources you have available. Yeah, in, in terms of... Um... You know the the rules that were set in place. I, I think I would be a, a hypocrite, uh, professionally speaking, if um, if I didn't, you know, say I, I don't see much wrong with clubs using the loopholes of it. I mean, that's usually where the money is made when it comes to the legal field. But I think obviously the 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 big issue for me is just the what appears to be inconsistencies with the application of the rules um, or, you know, the subjective nature of the decision-making when these requests are made. And maybe it's just something as simple as, you know, the Premier League giving some sort of public statement of the, you know, the reasons why they allowed a postponement or something. I think maybe would sit better with fans understanding why certain games are postponed and others aren't. I mean, if I'm sitting there as a Leeds fan um you know they could have easily had at least five or six games postponed just because of they they had so many injuries um and and they had to get through those games and you know if it ends up then costing them a premier league status that's massive for a club so yeah i think that's the biggest issue for me but in terms of clubs using sort of these loopholes i, I can't really fault them um i i get why clubs wouldn't want just for it to be a COVID issue because of, I think, the injury side of things, the sports science side of things. I mean, just basic chronic load. Um, you know, clubs would have, let's say, just a basic training week. Um, you know, if you know certain players are playing or if certain players aren't playing, as in they're not in the rotation of, of the players playing each week, they're going to have different training loads that are going to be put on them and then to suddenly then put that player into a 90-minute game, it's it's going to give a high, high risk of, of injuries or vice versa. You know, so I get where the clubs are coming from, from that perspective. And it might not always look apparent to, you know, to us as the fans to say, well, if I look on the team sheet, you know, they've got, for example, Chelsea complained once, you know, they, they asked for a postponement. It wasn't postponed. They put a team sheet with the likes of Kovacic on there and people are saying, well, look at that team sheet. Why would you want it postponed? But it was more to do with the risk of these players playing such a high intense game, not having trained or not having had matches under their belts and and the chronic load sufficient to then get through those games. So I think it's a lot more complicated than it is. But I do like the Bundesliga system of keeping it just to COVID because at at least then there's no 
there's no subjectivity towards it. Like either you you know, if you if you then struggle in the league because you've had to play academy players or whatever, unfortunately that's just the nature of the beast. But if I'm now, you know, for example, uh, you as as a Tottenham fan, if I'm now missing out on on this opportunity to play Arsenal with the people that are away from COVID, with the injuries that they do have, I'm going to be playing a completely different Arsenal next time I play. I, I would feel hard done by uh, as a Tottenham fan. Yeah, this is a hard one for me just because I, I obviously have some uh, <laughs> bias inherently uh, into one of Thomas's earlier points. Um, Steve Magookin, who's come on several times to, to talk about Tottenham, uh, was actually meant to go to his first match in some time, trying to go over to the North London Derby. And up until Saturday, we were still messaging about whether or not he was going to be able to go. And this is after, you know, Arsenal submitted their request on the Friday, but it wasn't processed till the Saturday, which is just time that you're cutting out for, for people to remake their plans, which is obviously awful uh, from a fan perspective. Uh, from a Tottenham perspective, things are a little bit more interesting. I think... Most Spurs fans were more pointing out the hypocrisy of it, of the fact that Arsenal just loaned out two players in the middle of a pandemic when they already have like four players at AFCON. Um, you know, Xhaka can always get a red card. Injuries happen. So outside of the one COVID case, isn't all of this things that could have been expected and planned for with the squad? Uh, I, I think that's where a lot of the frustration was. On the pitch... Obviously, they will have a lot of their players back, but if this gets, if this gets postponed till sometime in February, Tottenham would not only get the likes of Son and Eric Dyer, who suddenly matters a lot because he's the center back that can pass. Uh, we could get Romero back. Any signings in February, this obviously gives us more time with Conte in charge as we continue to try to hammer his system into, into the minds of our players. So on the pitch, I'm not actually sure if this is a detriment or if it's kind of a wash. Uh, with Arsenal, but I, I think there's a lot of frustration with some of the inconsistencies that you guys have mentioned. And then obviously from the fan side, I personally just feel really bad that somebody that I know was in that situation where they were planning on going to this match and were left hanging until midday Saturday to find out whether they'd be going on Sunday. All right, we'll leave that there for now. We'll take a quick break and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, and we are back. Thomas, we'll start off with you. You mentioned it a little bit uh, earlier in the show, or, or maybe it was before we hit record, but Wolves were like really good yesterday and all anyone is talking about is what we were just talking about which was the COVID rules and all of that stuff so I just kind of wanted to start by giving you a platform to talk about just how good Wolves were yesterday yeah well I mean well maybe I was bigging us up a little bit too much because I think maybe some Southampton fans might have something to say 
Uh, it's not so much just yesterday. We're just playing really well at the moment. We're just in a really good, nice spell. And um, the team is just clicking nicely. And I think yesterday was just a game that that showed that the Bruno Large sort of revolution is well and truly underway because, you know, Ruben Neves didn't play. Roman Saiz was at the AFCON. Um, you know, we've got other players, long-term absentees from the squad. And, and you know, Southampton came off the back of a good result against Brentford. Um, and, you know, I looked at the team, the Wolves team, thought, oh, a couple of changes. I'm a bit concerned for this one. And, you know, Southampton did play very well in the game, might consider themselves unlucky to have lost. Um, but, you know, we, we just got through the game and we 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 did a lot of good good things in the game. You know, Toti Gomez, the, the young centre-half who came into our team, looked brilliant considering it's his first ever Premier League game. Um, we, we did, we played some nice football through the midfield, Pedence and Trincao getting into nice little pockets of space and interchanging with Raul. You know, we scored three goals, which is massive for us because as you know, we, 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 we hardly score any goals. Um, I think we had 14 league goals before yesterday, which is like ridiculous considering we're eighth in the table now. We've got 31 points. Um, so to get three goals, uh, win win the game against a, a pretty decent, you know, Southampton team who themselves are in a in a moment, just just feels good, you know. And um, we 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 do we even dare to look up in the table um, as well as well as behind because you know we, we we won at Old Trafford, progressed comfortably in the FA Cup. We've got a pre- you know favourable tie in the next round, uh, and we've got some some great players still to come back into the team. So it's, it's just a good moment for Wolves. Yeah, and as you say, you have been in really good form right now. I was just looking at the table and realized that with your game in hands, you're currently eighth. With game in hands, four of the clubs in front of you uh, have fewer matches to play. So you could like realistically get up and around the European spots. And I was just curious if that is starting to become an expectation or if you guys are just really enjoying the ride, especially post uh, Nuno and some of his stylistic things, if you're just enjoying the Bruno Lage era thus far. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's expectation. Um, I think you, you look at the teams that are above us and you'd expect those teams to be above us. Um, and, and you know, that they're, they're as bad as Man United have been this season and they have been, like, woefully awful. They're still a point ahead of us. So that just goes to, you know, underlines how important quality is. I mean, Wolves have got all the ingredients that they've got. Uh, they gel really nicely as a team. They're well-drilled. They're well-coached. Um, you know, this, the spirit is high. The fans are all united behind the cause. Everything is there to, to do well. And then, you, you know, a point above us at Man United where you you, you cobble together, like, a, you know, good on paper, good players. And they have none of those things, yet they're still a point ahead of us. So it, it does underline the, the, the gulf in, in quality between those teams. And we, we, we talked about it, a Wolves perspective, because obviously we've had those two seasons where we finished seventh. And then there was that one season right at the end where Tottenham pipped us to um, to seventh place. And we, we were close to getting in the top five that season. We were only a one or two results away. So we've been in that little pocket sort of where we are now uh, before. And we just know, we know how difficult it is to get in. And in those other seasons, Tottenham and Arsenal were in pretty bad places, um, not playing well. So that, that kind of opened the door a bit. But now Arsenal and Tottenham in different ways sort of coming back and they've made that that top six top seven much harder to penetrate so so it is just a case of we're enjoying the ride um enjoying slightly more progressive football uh you know wolves the the, the players just seem to be playing with a bit more freedom 
getting forward and, and attacking teams in, in, in better ways, whilst also, you know, maintaining a, a defence. I mean, in, if anything, Bruno's improved our defence, which was unheard of, really, because we were quite well known for being defensively well organised already. So, yeah, just to answer your question, it's just enjoying the ride and, and just dreaming about, you know, maybe it could get even better. Gotcha. Somebody that may not be there to help enjoy that ride alongside the supporters could be Adama Traore, obviously just 18 months left on his contract. There had been a lot of rumors to Tottenham, which you and I had talked about on Twitter before. Now it sounds like Barcelona might be in the mix. Is it starting to look pretty conclusive that he'll be gone this winter? And if so, what impact would that have on Wolves' side? Well, I mean, the first thing to point out is he isn't in the team. So, you know, he, he is impact yep. substitute at the moment. So, um you know, that, that has to be taken into account. And it's crazy, really, when you think about it, the, f- the fact that he's he's linked with Barcelona, he's linked with Tottenham, and yet he can't get into the Wolves team. Yeah, that's crazy. It was, And what was bizarre, it was, it's the same with Jota. When we sold Jota to Liverpool for £42 million, he was playing second fiddle to Pedro Neto at Wolves. And it's just crazy, really, when you think about it, these players who... You know, Jota is probably one of the best strikers in the, in the Premier League now, probably considered at that level. So... Um, yeah, crazy, but I mean, you know what you get from Adamo, and he came on and got his goal yesterday. You know, he missed <laughs> missed a glaring opportunity, um, and then took a much harder one where he had to beat his man, and, and it was a cute finish. Um, you know, I, I would personally still love to see him at Wolves. I'd loved him to sign a contract and, and stay for the the best part of his career, just because he's just a great watch. You, you know, when he's on the pitch, he just every time he's got the ball, you know he's going to do something. And okay, there's that argument. Yeah, he's going to run down a blind alley and and the goals and assists on there. But there's always that tantalising prospect that it's going to click for him. You know, as it did a couple of seasons ago, and he was devastating for for you know a good half, three quarters of a season. So, you know, I'd be disappointed to see him go, but it does increasingly look like he will go um, because there's so much noise around it. There was there was there's been talks ongoing for a long time and I think twice it's come it's been reported in the local press that he's about to sign a deal and then it hasn't happened Um, his agent is George Mendes so if anyone knows um, what they can get out walls then you know it's George Mendes so my guess is that Mendes is saying to him well look if you if you want to stay at walls they should be paying you 100 grand a week because that's what they're paying Jean Martino and that's what they're paying you know, Raul Jimenez, and he's probably saying, well, I want that. And they're saying, well, we don't think you're worth that. And that there lies the impasse. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I think if Tottenham really wanted him, they, they would get him this month. Um, but yeah, I suppose that may, maybe there's a question mark because I, I assume Tottenham want him to play right wing back. That That's my assumption. In theory. May, may, yeah, maybe, maybe there's some thought from him that he thinks, well, do I want to go and play right wing back? You know, maybe he thinks, well, I want to be a winger. I don't want to be doing any defensive work. I don't know that. I mean, the thing is with Adama, he doesn't give anything away. He's, he's a mercurial character. I thought he looked a bit fed up maybe in recent weeks, but then he kind of always looks fed up. So he, he's he's a very tough player to judge. He seemed very happy to get that goal yesterday. Um you know, and all these teammates talk as if, you know, he's an important player for the squad and they want him to stay. So I I, I don't know how that situation is going to resolve itself. But my, my feeling is more likely that, that he's going to go because I think Wolves would like would like a decent sale, um, you know, to help them, you know, potentially do a, do a bit more business. But it, it is all speculation because Wolves are very tight lipped on these things. But yeah, I think I. I'm, I'm sort of leaning towards maybe it might be the summer now rather than rather than January. But who knows? We have brought a winger in today, 
um, a young winger from Portugal. No surprise there. Um, so there is speculation <laughs> that maybe um, that maybe that's connected to, to something. And obviously Pedro Neto still to come back. So we're well stocked. It's it's the area of the team where we have got the most players. So maybe something will move, but he, I, I don't know, Kim. But uh, I just think if he was going to sign a contract, he would have done it by now. Yeah, that makes sense. So your point is it, he's heading out sometime soon. It just mm. might not be January. And yeah, I, I think the the idea on the Tottenham side is that he can do both, which would allow Tottenham to offload both Bergvine and Dougherty and then have him kind of cover both. But I think that's the issue, is that he's kind of always alternated between the positions where you want him in attacking spaces, but then he doesn't provide you know, the end result and the goals and assists. So then you're like, oh, well, he's big and fast. We can push him back, but he can't really defend. So I think he's just kind of caught in this no-man's-land positionally where he's just like an incredible talent, an incredible athlete, one of the best dribblers in the world. But ultimately, where is he best? And I think that question's still being asked, and it's starting to get a little late in his career for there to not be a clear answer to that question. Uh, Tad, we'll come to you next to talk about Liverpool. Uh, pretty comfortable 3-0 win for you against Brentford. Unfortunately, City went and won there. I think it's 12th in a row, uh, which I think kind of has vibes of that like two years ago where they just refused to drop points. I was just curious if if it still feels like Liverpool are in the title hunt. You could close the gap to, to single digits if you win your game in hand. I was just wondering if it's starting to feel like that's kind of gone now. Um. For me personally, I thought it, it went a couple of weeks ago. Um, this city side is ridiculous. And it, I, I just think they're, they're a well-built machine um, and they can plug and play people in. I mean, they're doing this without a, without a you know designated striker at the moment, but the system is just so well in place. The players are so well ingrained into the system that they know what they're doing at all times. In order to beat the City team, you kind of have to have a perfect season, not necessarily in terms of, you know, going undefeated or something like that, but a lot of things have to go your way. And I always felt that if if Liverpool had a chance of winning the league this season, they needed to get ahead early and sort of get to the point where City lose interest, kind of, where, where City kind of start focusing more on Champions League than the Premier League. Um, you know, it's not to, you know, to to put cold, you know, uh, cold water on, on the Liverpool squad, but I just think the City team is so well built. And the Liverpool squad, I didn't think they've improved it when when they were on top. There was an opportunity for Liverpool to, you know, really try and make this a dynasty. And I think they they kind of missed their chance there i mean it's obviously difficult when you've got uh as i say the likes of city and and also chelsea with their spending power but um yeah so i, I wasn't very confident um for a while now and it at the moment it kind of feels like it's surviving until salah and Mane come back because yes the the brentford game you look at the score line and you know second half was definitely a lot better but there were a lot of issues in that game where you'd think if we played a, a, a team maybe that's in more form or slightly better players than than Brentford, we would have really struggled and probably would have conceded a few goals in that game as well. So at the moment, um, sorry, Liverpool fans, <laughs> you can you can skip over this part of the podcast, but I'm, I'm not as optimistic as, as some people seem to be in the fan base. Um, I, I just think the City side is... More, me, more mentally in tune with 
with their aspirations for the league than Liverpool are at the moment. And I, I, I don't see how we close that gap, um, especially in, in a COVID era where any player could potentially be out, you know, if, if they test positive. I think City can afford to, to you know, rotate the squad and not lose quality. Um, in those specific positions, whereas I just don't think Liverpool can do that. Uh, you know, uh, and, and uh, a, a defender going down. You know, if a Trent go, you know, if a Trent's not playing, then that messes up our entire attack on the right hand side. Or you know, just individual pieces that we we can't replace them if they go down. So it would be too big a, a task, I think, to to try and not only catch up to them but then overtake them and stay ahead of them for the duration of the season. Yeah, do, do you think kind of like I was asking Thomas earlier that that by, you know, not wanting to say give up, but, but by accepting that it's unlikely that you'll catch up, that you can just enjoy what is another season of often good performances and getting to see, see your team play well and score plenty of goals? Um, I've, I've been like that for most of the season. And it's, look... I I I was you know more power to you if if you were really full on in the season and were expecting Liverpool to win the league, but I I wasn't. Um, I, obviously as a fan you'd 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 want it to happen, but I just didn't think that we had enough in a COVID era type season uh, in terms of squad quality um, and squad depth to beat a Man City. I, I don't think it's a surprise that during this time period when there have been so many postponements, um, you know, having to rotate your squads, the busy December period, that's usually when City show their strength because that's when they can rotate players and it doesn't drop in level of quality. Whereas I don't know if many other squads can do that. Maybe looking at the Chelsea squad um, could probably match them in terms of um, rotation. But I'm not sure that many other um, teams would feel that confident with some of the rotation players coming in. I mean, all of us would probably back our starting 11s if everyone's firing to say we could probably do something here. But that's mm. more a cup situation than a league situation. A league needs an entire squad, I, I think. And uh, I just don't see how how you can match that squad depth. Yeah, and I think you mentioned last time you were on that this felt like a, like a potential cup-winning side, maybe more than a league-winning one. So... Uh, that yeah. makes sense. You also mentioned what would happen if you lost uh, TAA for any meaningful amount of time. And that would be uh, pretty bad. A stat that I saw earlier today was that he's the first to 10 assists thus far this season, which is pretty impressive, as an air quotes defender. Uh, also, uh, he's on pace to beat the Premier League record for assists by a defender, which was 13, which he set himself in 2019-20. <laughs> uh, I was just curious for you, like, what what do Liverpool fans make of just how ridiculous he is in, in a creative sense and his influence on your attacking play? I mean, it seems like they've definitely increased that influence that he has in the team this season. And I, I think this this is probably his season where he, he'll, he would probably say he's matured the most as a player and in terms of the role that he has in the team, this was one of the first, like before the season started, I think was the first time I started hearing him being referred to as just, you know, Trent Alexander-Arnold, a Liverpool player, not the Liverpool youngster. He, he He's now like a man, you know, mm. um, 
and you can see that's kind of taken form in how we're approaching games. He basically has the choice, and between him and Salah, when they're on that right-hand side, they basically have the choice whether to come inside or go outside. And the right central midfielder on that side, usually, you know, Henderson or Cater, uh, it was Harvey Elliott at the beginning of the season, they then play off of what Trent does. So if Trent goes outside, that midfielder stays inside. If Trent comes inside, that midfielder goes outside. So that whole side of the pitch is basically reacting to Trent's movement and Salah's movement. And we didn't necessarily have that last season. It was more Trent mostly staying on the outside. So he's coming inside a lot more. He's being involved in build-up play a lot more as well. And as I say, yeah, it, it's it's definitely exciting to see. I hope he doesn't, you know, there's always this chat. I hope that chat goes away. But there's always this chat of, oh, should he be moved into midfield? He's already so creative out wide. Why would you move him into a place that there are more bodies? I, I just don't understand that. Why not just leave him there on the right-hand side? He's reinventing a position, so to speak, let him be the best, you know, right back in the world or competing to be the best right back in the world opposed to being a really good midfielder. I know he played some time, you know, in the youth teams in midfield and that's kind of where that that talk comes from. But I just think he's doing so well in that position. Leave him there. It allows so much space for everyone else because if if you if your game plan as an opposition team is to try and mark out their right back, you're leaving a lot of space everywhere else on the pitch. So it creates a huge problem for other teams. And yeah, it, it's a really exciting season from a Liverpool perspective to see him get more responsibility in terms of team tactics uh, and then actually live up to them. So yeah, long may that continue. Yeah, and the fact that he and Salah get to play on the same side of the pitch is just pretty rude for opposing it's a cheat defenses. code it's, it's not fair yeah and and i also agree let's normalize not trying to fill up lom every single right back that can pass <laughs> um all right we'll leave that there and head into player watch where i just wanted to ask you guys uh how many if any players do you think your your clubs will bring in in the remainder of this january transfer window uh not too many i don't think for wolves um I just need to, I was going to look up the name of this winger who's apparently signing tomorrow, uh, you know, low profile, um, signing a couple of million pounds. But um, it, the report suggests he, he's a first team signing. He's not someone we're going to go and loan out to one of our sort of feeder clubs or, or relegate him to the youth team. Um, but yeah, which is a bit of a surprise because as I said previously, it's, it's the area of the the pitch where we're quite well stocked. Um, that a lot of talk has been about the fact we need a centre half. That's what Bruno Large has, has emphasised. But then he brought in this this young this young guy yesterday, Toti Gomez, who played really well. Um, so so maybe that will change the thinking there because if he if he looks first team ready, you know, and he he can compete with Romain Sais. We've still got Willy Bolly. Um, there's been talk of offloading Willy Bolly this month, but he's had injury problems. Can't can't stay fit. Um, so I don't know what's happening with him. So potentially we, we might be all right there. I think fans would like to see a central midfielder. Uh, we feel we're a bit light if, if you know Neves or Martinho are injured. We've been linked with Renato Sanchez, um, but there was a feeling I think in the club that we we had a real good chance of signing him in the summer, and then he got injured, 
um, and the, the interest waned a bit. And then now he's linked with a lot of other top clubs. I think AC Milan, even possibly Liverpool have been spoke about Arsenal. So that that may have come and gone. But if we could get someone like him in, I think it would really lift, you know, lift the mood uh, even further with fans and, and give us more optimism about the second half of the season. Because I do think central midfield is an area where potentially a body light, but I'm not confident Wolves will, will do a deal. So I will I will say, other than this signing that, that's set to be announced tomorrow, it'll be a zero or potentially a one. From a Liverpool perspective, um, do, do I think we need signings? Yes. Am I expecting any short answers? No. Um, I think there, it would be more outgoings, looking at the likes of Nat Phillips. Uh, if there's a Premier League club out there that's or any club out there that's looking for a centre-back. Um, I think we're open for business for him. Um, maybe the likes of Origi, but he's been injured for a couple of weeks now and there's not really too much news coming out from the club about the, the nature of the injury and, and how long he is going to be out for. But that that's kind of expected from Liverpool now. We don't really divulge too much information from that side of things. So... Those are the two players that probably will be heading out the door if suitable offers can come in. And we've seen in the past that Liverpool tend to be quite bullish with the prices that they want for these players. So like a Nat Phillips, they'll want whatever the value is that they have on him. I don't think they're going to sell him for less than that. Um, They'll rather just keep him then if if they can't get what they want for him. Um, We still got Loris Karius on our books. we still got Adrian in our, on our books. So if we can offload some of those players, maybe that will help um, in, in in the summer when, when it is the time where we'll probably most likely make incomings. But yeah, I, I don't see Liverpool making any signs, bar maybe a serious injury to uh, a key position. And even then, I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't make a signing. But in terms of what we need, need slash needed, I thought... If it was going to be people coming in, they would have come in probably earlier in the window, maybe a forward to, you know, help with the, the the fact that Mane and Salah were going away. But, you know, they've gone so far into January now without bringing one in. It's kind of hard to see them bringing one in w- w- with that reasoning behind it, because, um, you know, why not do it a bit earlier? Um, and then midfield, there's still creativity issues in midfield, but... I don't see them bring anyone in. Harvey Elliott is coming back from injury um, in the near future. So I I think they would want to keep that space open for him to grow. Um, They've still got the likes of Curtis Jones, et cetera, that Klopp kind of likes to leave a a little bit of room for young players to come through, you know, if if they prove that they're, they're ready to come through. So... Unfortunately, Liverpool fans, I, I wouldn't stay up late on deadline day or anything like that, barring a, a serious injury, and, and we definitely don't want one of those. <laughs> That's fair. Also, good news, uh, Eddie Howe is back in the Premier League, so maybe you can just get rid of any of the players you don't want over on I, him. I was <laughs> hoping, he, he's not come knocking too strongly yet. I was hoping, you know, when when they signed Chris Wood, I thought that was the perfect Divock Origi sale, yep. um, so I was quite gutted with that one. Yeah, pretty pretty big bummer. Maybe Newcastle have done the right thing and not really let him into the transfer meeting. <laughs> uh, all right, we'll wrap up by talking about our upcoming matches. Uh, so for you, Thomas, it's obviously going to be traveling to the Brentford side that Tad's side just defeated. What are your thoughts on this one? 
tough game. Uh, they, they don't make it easy for, for many of the teams they play. Uh, they beat us, tucked us in fairly comfortable at Molyneux. That was probably our worst performance of the season. Um, I think there's a few things that have gone our way since that make me think we can have more confidence going into this game. Uh, firstly, they've obviously played Liverpool today and they've also got to play Man United in midweek before they play us um, on Wednesday night. So I think that's helpful to us. We've got a full week to prepare for this game. Hopefully we'll have Ruben Neves back, um, which will, will strengthen our hand considerably. And um, yeah, I, ju- I just I just think their, their form isn't what it was. They got off to a flyer at the start of the season. They came on to, you know, sunny day at Molyneux and, and they were full of, you know, Vim and vigour, so they, they they were in a good moment then, whereas I think the reality of the Premier League has bitten back a bit since then. They've still had some decent results, um, but I, I feel pretty confident at the moment. I mean, to be honest, unless we were playing the top three, I'd feel pretty confident going into any game because I just feel, like I said before, we're in a good rhythm um, at the moment and we, and we should feel bullish about our, our chances. So I think if we can, you know, get our football going there, um, I, th- I think we'll do well. So I, I think, um, you know, I back us to get a result, um, possibly possibly even, an, you know, a victory, um, which would be massive for us. We've got quite a difficult February coming up. Um, we've got to play some sort of, some of the sort of quite good teams, like I think we've got Arsenal, Spurs, Leicester. So, you know, that, that could be a that could be a challenging run. So I think it is important we, we try and get another result if we can. Uh, but a draw wouldn't be too bad. But um, but now I, I think I'd go all the way and, and back us for a, a narrow victory. Gotcha. And then, Ted, this is a little bit of a harder question because in theory, your next match would be Arsenal midweek in, in the back half of your EFL Cup semi-final. But who knows what's going on with them? So I don't know. Talk about that or the Crystal Palace versus <laughs> Liverpool match if it gets cancelled. I, I would imagine the Arsenal game will go on. I, I, I don't think that when it comes to the the EFL game, I don't think they would get away with the same excuse opposed to the Premier League game because, you know, the, I don't know if they want to leave too much space between this game and when the cup finals played and, and any ramifications that could come from that. So I, and I think kind of, you know, Arsenal fans were very, you know, um, loud when Liverpool did a similar thing. Well, theirs were, COVID cases, but anyway, um, where Liverpool then played the week after, um, after having the game postponed. I, I think it's a similar situation here where it's at least giving the players that played this past Thursday, at least giving them a full week's rest instead of having to rely on them to play three games in a row effectively is what they were trying to avoid, I'd imagine. Um, so I don't see it getting postponed, famous last words there. Um, in terms of the game itself, I just hope Klopp doesn't play Henderson and Milner <laughs> together. And I, I can't, I can't deal with that midfield um, together. It, it's it's just creating more problems than than are necessary at this point in time. Without some of our key players there, um, especially with the team that's quite confident playing out the back as Arsenal are, the press for Liverpool isn't quite as good when Henderson and Milner are both, you know, those two eights. Um, and, and teams are, are finding it easier to p- kind of pass around that press opposed to if we if we have other personnel in there. So if Klopp 
it's two twofold. If Klopp doesn't play that midfield, I, I would be quietly confident. Um, if he does play that midfield, I think he's leaving the door open for Arsenal. But in, in any sense, it should be a, a really good game for neutrals because both sides, as I said, they're going to want to play football. If I'm Arsenal, I would play the. I, I don't even know if if you know who's going to be available for Arsenal, but. If they can get whoever the three fastest players are, put them up top and give Liverpool the ball and try and break on the counter-attack if, if Milner and Henderson are playing um, and they should be able to get around our midfield pretty pretty easily. But, you know, if you're Liverpool, you're hoping that the experience that's in the squad, having won stuff, um, sees you through the semi-final. Obviously, drawing to 10 men Arsenal last week Thursday. It's very disappointing, but you kind of have to shake that out of the system and, and get refocused. It, it's, you know, it's that age old, it's nil-nil at half time. Well, it really is nil-nil at half time and, and trying to see if you can get something um, away from home. Jota, Firmino, and then the third person up front I think is still up for grabs um, whether it's Minamino Oxley, chamberlain Curtis Jones could move further forward uh, I, I honestly don't know who that third person's going to be so that's probably um, the player that we're going to need the biggest performance out of because they're going to be someone that Arsenal won't necessarily be able to prepare for and, and will only be able to discuss stuff once they see the team sheet so yeah for neutrals I think it's going to be a really fun game for Liverpool and Arsenal fans, very anxious game, hoping to to have a day at Wembley. Cool. Well, we'll leave things there. If you guys would like to tell folks where they can find you or anything you're working on, that would be a good time. Thanks for having me on again, guys. Very much appreciated. Uh, if you want to read on anything about Wolves or perhaps your team is about to play Wolves in the upcoming weeks, you can see previews and reports of all the games and some other stuff. Uh, concerning Wolverhampton Wanderers. So if, obviously, if you're a Wolves fan too, please log on to wolvesblog.com or uh, you can contact us on Twitter at wolvesblog or on facebook.com forward slash wolvesblog. Thanks for having me on again. Um, you can find me at Tad Predicts on Twitter and I host the a Tad Predictable podcast. We do um, Premier League score predictions every week um, whenever the games do get played. So yeah, come check me out there. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining me today, guys. I've been your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can find the show at EPL Roundtable on Twitter and by searching EPL Roundtable on all of your podcasting services, like the one you're listening to on it right now. Seems like you did a pretty good job of finding it all on your own without my help there. But uh, again, massive thanks to Thomas and Ted for coming on and chatting with me today. And folks at home, we hope you keep listening. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.